Awesome. Well, yeah, I am going to pray. We're going to we're going to jump into the word today. Um, by the way, what, what an awesome time in worship today. Thanks, Brian and the team for leading us this morning. Let's uh, let's pray before we get into the word this morning. God, thank you so much for your your word. Thank you for illuminating our lives in, in every part of our lives, God. Um, by your word, by your spirit, I pray that as we um, continue to dwell on what your word says about holiness, that we wouldn't just think about it, but God, that you would help us to be more like Christ, that you would help us to be different in a really difficult world, God. Show us more deeply this call to be your holy people, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Set Apart, Living as God's Holy People. We've been diving into this idea of, of holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What is this call to be a holy people? And last week we looked at the story of Moses and when he encountered a holy God, had this holy moment with God out in the desert, a burning bush, and that changed everything. He went from being underwhelmed by God, just kind of out there alone, isolated in the desert for 40 years, to being overwhelmed by the presence of God. And we've also talked about how the opposite of holy is ordinary, that, that because of our sin, because of the sin of, of Adam and Eve, that we, there's this separation from God that created sort of the ordinary, corrupt world that we live in, and God desperately wants to to create a holy people in an ordinary world. We looked at Psalm 24 with the metaphor of a holy mountain. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And so today, um, we're going to look at 1 Peter, and this passage in 1 Peter is going to talk more about how we are supposed to live as God's holy people. So the first week, we had this metaphor of a mountain in the Psalms. The second week, we have this encounter with the Holy God in the story of Moses. And this week is a big theological sandwich. It's like, here's, here's what it means to, um, to be a holy people. This is like the meat of the—so if, like, if you like meat— of the theological meat. This is a, a good, uh, on the holiness conversation, this will be a good message. Um, so in First Peter, the apostle Peter, he's writing to the church from Rome. And he, this is a letter that he just wrote to all the churches he was connected to, to encourage them in the middle of their suffering. They're experiencing some persecution. Uh, they're experiencing some hardship. They're trying to stay faithful to what God's called them to do. And he writes this letter to focus them on the hope that they have in Jesus and to tell them to keep going. That the hope we have in Jesus is way greater above and beyond what we have in the world. And it's in the midst of this conversation that he tells them to be holy. And he talks about what that means. Now, this is a letter written for, for comfort, but Peter's comfort doesn't really come across like a, a back rub, like a light fluffy back rub. It's really more like marching orders. It's like, keep going. You are a different people. And so that's what we're going to get to here in verse 13. And we're going to go ahead, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read 1 Peter 1.13 to the end of the chapter, verse 25. So I'll go ahead and read that this morning. It says this, 
Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your times as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. So this here is a commission to the church to be holy. To, be, to, live, to live in the, in the space where God lives. To be like Christ. Peter quotes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus when he says, Be holy because I am holy. In the book of Leviticus, God is setting apart the Israelite people for himself, and he's giving them the law. And so Peter continues that into the present, that we are still called to be holy as God is holy. And so if we are going to identify with Christ, we're supposed to become like Christ. We're supposed to live in a different way. How many of you have seen the movie, The West Side Story? West Side Story? The musical? You know, there's that line in there, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. So like when you're a Christian, you're a Christian all the way. You know, it's kind of, so you've joined a gang. You got to act like it. Um, so as you read First Peter, we see that there are two different sets of patterns here. We're going to use the word patterns a lot because when we talk about holy living. We're talking about two different patterns. First, there's the ordinary patterns of the world, just kind of what, what is in the world, all, the, 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 the worldly patterns that we, we learn and absorb. And then there are the holy patterns of God that we see vividly lived out in Jesus. And there's two different sets of patterns. And Peter talks about both of them. First, Peter talks about the reality of the world. Peter says that there's a pattern that we've been born into. And here's our starting point. Human hearts follow empty and destructive patterns. That's where he starts. He says, as obedient children, the command is do not conform. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Apart from God... The patterns that are in the world are empty and destructive. Attitudes of selfishness, 
greed, evil thoughts, hate, anger, ignoring the suffering of others. These patterns don't actually lead us to any kind of personal fulfillment, but they lead to our downfall. So in 2017, I'm sure you remember this, but our culture hit a wall called the Me Too movement. There was this massive wave of public awareness of sexual abuse against women. There were 19 million tweets with the hashtag MeToo about sexual abuse that had happened to different people. And you had powerful men in Hollywood like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, whose crimes had gone unnoticed for decades meet justice. And it was a moment that um, is controversial, and we're not going to debate, oh, what are the pros and cons? But I love what Gospel Collation, uh, Collation contributor Sam Alberry wrote at the time that it broke out. He saw it as an opportunity. He said this, The rise of the Me Too movement gives us an opportunity to commend the sexual ethics Jesus gave us. Our culture hasn't always agreed with Jesus that what we do with or to someone sexually is not just physical. A physical violation of someone is wicked and damaging enough. A sexual violation often leaves even deeper wounds. Sexual injury is not the same thing as a grazed knee. Our sexuality gets to the very heart of our personhood, and it's why Jesus is so protective of it. All of a sudden, our culture was realizing the destructiveness of sexual sin. They saw powerful men crumble because of patterns of sexual brokenness that have just been in our culture. They saw the devastation of patterns of sexual sin that, that hurt women in every social uh, status, of every social status. I like what one pastor said recently. He said, God protects things that are sacred and dangerous, and sex is both. Sex is both. God had a holy intention as sex, as an expression of love in a marriage. It's supposed to give life to a marriage. God has a pattern for sex. When, we, when humanity sinned, we took what God had and we made it ordinary. We made it ordinary, and we've all been affected one way or another by broken sexual patterns of this world. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies have all been affected. Whether it's sex, whether it's greed, whatever it is, we need a new pattern. Humanity craves a new pattern. We need a way out of evil and destructive tendencies. Human patterns lead to destruction. How can we break free? We'll see that Paul doesn't just call human patterns evil. He also calls them empty. At the end of the day, the human patterns of this world are empty. He says that through Christ, we are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Ultimately, it's all handed down through the sin of Adam and Eve through our ancestors. He could also be talking about the Gentiles who hadn't at that point been a part of the story of God. We're just being grafted in. 
The tragedy of human patterns of life and thinking isn't only that they're destructive and hurtful. At the end of the day, they're empty. They don't lead us to where we think we want to go. They're unfulfilling. There was a uh, TV star, um, David Cassidy from the Partridge family. He lived a life under the spotlight show in the 70s. I think I watched it on like Nick at Night when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but a few years ago, a few years ago, he died of liver disease. And his daughter recorded his last words, and they were kind of haunting. They were kind of haunting. And, and his last words when, when he died, this guy who had lived in the spotlight his whole life, his last words were, so much wasted time. So much wasted time. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on in his life, but whatever it is, those, those last words are sobering. What did I do with my life? So much wasted time. The truth is that this life runs away from us. It runs away from us. So what if the patterns of the world whether that's chasing pleasure, chasing importance, chasing success, they don't amount to much in the end. Our souls cry out for something deeper, a deeper way of living, a way that's not broken, that's not going to lead to an end of disappointment, to an end of unfulfillment. In contrast, there was a man in the early church, 200 AD, his name was Apollonius the Apologist, which is a pretty cool name. It's hard to say, I had to practice a couple times. But he was famous for defending his faith in front of um, big Roman judges, really prominent Roman judges. Um, This was during the Roman Emperor Trajan's reign. And with his life on the line, he he defended his faith very eloquently, very boldly. He was still sent to his death. But before he died, he said these words. I enjoy life. But love of life has not made me afraid to die. There is nothing greater than life, that eternal life which gives immortality to the soul of the righteous. He was already living in a greater life than this world had to offer. He was not afraid to die because he was already living in this everlasting life with God. He was already learning a different way. And so he didn't face his death as the loss of his life, but actually an entrance into eternal life with God. That there was a greater life awaiting for him than what he was currently living. And he was confident of that. By the way, have you ever wondered if your faith would stand up if you were put in a similar situation? If your life was threatened? I think what what I can say is, the way we're living now will be represented in that moment. Are we learning patterns of following Jesus now? Do we believe firmly now? That's what's going to matter and show up in that moment, if that ever happens. So the question is, what patterns are you living by? What patterns are you learning? That's what Peter's concern is, concern is as he writes this letter. Here's where Peter points us. He says, or here's where Peter points us. This is my words, not Peter's words. <laughs> because of Jesus, we can learn new patterns rooted in heavenly hope. We can learn new patterns because of Jesus. Jesus is everything. He doesn't leave us stuck. 
in the patterns of this world. He points our eyes up and he teaches us the, the new patterns of heaven, life in heaven, and we learn that now. We can learn new patterns because Jesus rescues us out of the old patterns. We can learn new patterns because Jesus teaches us new patterns continuously. Every day we learn in the, in, through the grace of God. We learn, we try, we learn. And we can learn new patterns because the Holy Spirit, God himself, he lives in us, directing us, guiding us, helping us, helping us live to the Spirit and die to the flesh. Peter says again, Therefore, with minds that are, that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. As I read that again, there's an identity phrase in there. God calls us his obedient children. We, we are no longer obedient to the world. We're obedient to God. And the only way we can be obedient to God is because God gives us grace to learn obedience. But our identity is no longer wrapped up in the dysfunction that's been passed down to you, that you inherited. But now you can live as an obedient child of God. Your identity is no longer bound to, to your past. Your identity is no longer bound uh, to what your friends want you to be. Your, your identity is no longer bound to, to anything that this world has to offer. Your identity is now a child of God. And in God's grace, you get to learn obedience to him. Peter says that God's made you his own child in Christ. He goes into, into great detail on the cost that it took. To, to, uh, to bring you back to God, to remove the barrier, the separation, and to make you holy. It's all about Christ. It's not about you. So we just respond to that. So we get to learn, because of God's grace, because of what he's done, we get to learn new patterns of grace, patterns of love, patterns of holiness that we see, we see painted in the life of Jesus. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our rabbi. And so as a child of God, we, we are holy as God is holy. We learn how to obey day after day. So again, Peter quotes this verse from deep in the book of Leviticus, which is the third book in the Bible. And I haven't done a series in the book of Leviticus because I want people to show up on Sundays. Um... <laughs> Because there's a lot of stuff in there, and it would take a long time to explain. Bravo for churches <laughs> who, uh, who uh, you know, take a year in Leviticus. That's great. Great for those churches. Um, if we do Leviticus, we're going to do it in two weeks, okay? Just here's the overview. Any questions? Uh, but no, in Leviticus, what Leviticus is, is uh, in, in the book is, is God's holiness code for his people. It's like, this is how I want you to live. This is how you're going to be different from the nations around you. This is what worship looks like. Um, this is how I want you to treat other people. All the things in great detail are in the book of Leviticus. Like, God, God left very few stones unturned in the book of Leviticus. 
And, and he even gave his people at that time um, laws about eating. Like this phrase, be holy as I am holy, comes from Leviticus 11.44, which is right in the middle of, of God laying out some laws, some dietary laws for his people. Um, in the new, fast forward to the New Testament, in, in Acts, we see that under the New Covenant, they don't apply anymore. Um, but like one of, the, one of the laws restricted his people from eating shellfish. And you might think, man, that's really restrictive, God. But can you imagine the margin for error of cooking shellfish 4,000 years ago? You know, they got red tied now. I don't know what it was like back then. Like it, you know, God didn't give Israel the law because he was mean. He did it to protect them. You know, he did it to, 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 to help them not have the same uh, diseases and ailments and, and negative experiences that the nations around them were having. He doesn't want them to, to, uh, to get sick or die from eating uh, shellfish. And they, they, don't, they don't have a health department at that point of time, so they wouldn't know. Um, but sometimes we get the wrong impressions of God's law because we think it's restrictive. Like, oh man, God is just, you know, he's a buzzkill. You know, so restrictive. God's restrictive in the same way a guardrail is restrictive from, like, keeping you from going off the edge of a, into a ravine. You know, God's restrictive in, like, wanting to save and preserve your life and, and lead you into a life that is going to be ultimately fulfilling. Like, God knows best. God knows best. And so his law is good. And his law back then was a grace to his people. It's like, oh, here's how we do it. Here's how we live. Here's how we, how, how we start to act and, and, uh, and, and operate like God wants us to, not like the rest of the world. I was doing things like child sacrifices and all sorts of stuff. God's law keeps us from driving off a spiritual cliff. And so when he says, be holy because I am holy, it's not, it, it's not supposed to be this guilt-driven thing, but like, yes, I, I want that. I want to live like God wants me to live, because that's where real life is. That's this everlasting, eternal life that God wants us to live out. He's offered us a new way to live. So there's this one piece, this obedient child identity that we have, and then there's a second identity we have. How do we relate to the world then? If we're living on God's grid— how do we relate to the world? Peter continues, I think this is in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So the second piece of our identity is foreigners living out our faith on earth in reverent fear. So we're called to be obedient children. And then the way we relate to our world is foreigners. Foreigners, you know, if you think of that in terms of like the world is not our home. You've probably heard that before in church. Heaven is our home. You know, we've, we've heard that we're ambassadors here. But it means that we have two different grids for living, right? There's two different grids for living. We're trying to live as Christ has called us to live in a world that's still following the, the, the patterns and way of the world. 
And so you're always going to experience tension there, difficulty, confusion, frustration. In 2 Corinthians, Paul goes beyond foreigners. He says we're ambassadors to this world. We're here to show the world the way of Christ. How, how, how is a Christian supposed to live? What, what, would, what would Christ be like if he lived in our time and place? Like we're ambassadors to Christ in this world to show people a better way. Like if you want to talk about how the church is supposed to be attractive, it's in our own life. It's in the way we live. Are we living into the patterns of heaven or are we living like everybody else? And that's the difference. As foreigners, we have different ways of life. Different values, different patterns. One of the things that might tempt us to conform is that desire to be at home here. We got to figure out something to do with that tension. That tension of living for Christ and living in this world. And sometimes that pressure to conform is to just be like everybody else in the world. To just be home somewhere. That's why Peter keeps pointing him back to wait for Christ's return. Wait for heaven. That's your home. He's trying to put that in front because as Christians, we don't have much hope as if this is all there is. Then we, can, we should just do what we want to do and make the best of it. Peter is saying, no, believe in the life to come. Believe in eternal life. Believe that how you live for Christ here matters. Sometimes as Christians, we don't like to talk about like how Jesus talked about rewards, you know, hey, your reward is great in heaven, as like, that's like a dangling carrot. But Jesus want us, wanted us to focus on life, life beyond this life. Jesus wants us to, to live like he lived. He lived with a mission when he was on this earth. He loved people. He gave everything for people. He taught. He, he ended up, ended up, uh, on a cross, dying for the sins of the world, and then rising again. He lived with a mission. And so as ambassadors, we also live with a mission to model and call people to the same life that we've been given in Christ. And that means that in that tension, there are going to be times where you don't make sense. You won't make sense to some people. You won't make sense to your family. You won't make sense to your coworkers. You're going to say things that might not make sense. You're going to refrain from things that might not make sense to people. And you're going to invest your life in things that might not make sense. But that's the tension that God's called us to as ambassadors. And so we have to wrestle with if we're willing to accept that tension. If we're going to be willing to accept that tension and live for Christ. Sometimes being a foreigner feels lonely. You know, so I talk to my kids sometimes, you know, when they see, they see the, the patterns of the world at school, you know, they feel lonely sometimes at school. You might feel like a, a foreigner at your work. Like people expect you to talk a certain way or do certain things that, that you decide not to. And so there is always a pressure to conform, but when we say yes to the Spirit of God, more and more it gets easier and easier. And we say no to the flesh, that gets easier and easier. But ultimately, we're called to be different because our Father's different. He's called us to a better life. Peter also says we should live out our time in reverent fear. 
not in fear, in reverent fear. Basically saying, live like God is there. Live like God is there. Scripture talks a lot about fearing God. In, in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to be wise, we need to live like God is there. Sometimes we have a hard time reconciling loving God with the idea of fearing God. But I'm here to say, I think they're connected. I think they're connected. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was, was my dad. But he was also my judge when he needed to be. You know, there was a time, I'm not proud of this, there was a time where a friend of mine went into a public bathroom, wadded up all the toilet paper, and, and got it wet, and just made a mess everywhere in this public bathroom. My mom found out, and she gave me the classic line, just wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was an experience of reverent fear. I hid in the closet. Like, I didn't want to see my dad. Because um, I was embarrassed. I wasn't afraid he would hurt me. But I was, I was afraid of having to face my dad for what, I, what I'd done. But the point is that we need to live like God is really there. Like God's not just there as our buddy. Um, he's not just there as our wingman. Like God is our father calling us to be holy like him. He loves us. He's also God. We need to love him, respect him like God. So Peter roots this call to be holy in the precious blood of Christ. That he shows us that God does love us immensely. It costs God everything to make us holy. He spared no expense. He will meet us in love when we come to him. He didn't do that so we could just stay the same. We talked about that two weeks ago. We talked about we, we didn't become Christians to just stay the same. Like, our life as Christians is about discovering who God has made us to be, walking in this call that God has for us, learning every day to be more and more like Jesus. Christ died in hope that we would learn to, to love and live in the, in the patterns of Jesus, to love and live like him. And that's where Peter points holiness that the marker for holiness is obedience and love, and love for others. Peter says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter connects this call to be holy. It's not separating yourself from others. It's not trying to live above everybody. But this call to holiness is actually a call to love, and I love that he says, from the heart. This is not a distant charity kind of love. This is a love that wants people to be your brother, to be your sister, to listen, to walk with them. From the heart. Nothing confirms God's work in your life than loving your brother and sister from the heart. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught his disciples to wash each other's feet. Jesus taught us to give to the poor. When we give to the poor, it's like giving to him. So Jesus said that your whole heart has to be in this, 
thing called love. That our call to holiness is not a call to be better, right? It's a call to love. It's called to love like Christ. Christ was far superior than any of us could ever hope to be, but he entered in. He entered in, and as his followers, we've got to enter into people's lives as well, not in a passive way, but in an active way. So here's where I want to land today. Jesus leads us as his holy people towards deeper obedience and love. That's pretty simple. But if you want markers, hey, am I, am I, am I learning to live like Christ? Am I walking in obedience to Christ? It's, it's that you would have a deeper obedience. Like you're reading the word. God is teaching you things. Somebody said like when, when, when God gets a hold of your heart, it's like he has a flashlight on it. And then, uh, you know, you see the big things you got to take care of. And then as you walk with God more and more, that flashlight comes down. You start to see some of the smaller things, seemingly smaller things to us. That, that he wants to take care of, but God's always at work. Like, the only way we can hope to live like Christ is just because of his grace. <laughs> Every day, we learn more and more. But a holy life is defined by a growing obedience to God and a growing love for others. And they go together. They go together. They, you, can't, you can't separate them. You can't separate them. I mean, I mean, Jesus even said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, they are connected. So, it's, it's uh, holiness is growing in obedience to God and growing in your love for others. So, we're called to learn from Jesus. He's, he's our rabbi. When we read the word, we're, we read our Bibles, that is our opportunity to grow more like Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, they had these bracelets. You remember these? They said WWJD on them. Those are pretty cool. I, I mean, they were cool back, back in the day. They were really cool. NBA players were wearing them, I remember, watching NBA games. And NBA players you've never heard of, like Nick Van Exel were wearing them. I was like, ooh, that's cool. I need to, I need to get one. And I think that's a good statement, right? Like, yeah, what would Jesus do? My question is, how do we know what Jesus would do? If we want to know, we need to know Jesus. Right? That's our starting point. We need to know Jesus. We need to know, are we walking with him? Are we learning his ways? Are we growing in love? It's not as simple as, what would Jesus do? Well, if you don't know Jesus, how are you going to know what he would do? But what would Jesus have you do? in those situations. Just want to share this verse here, John 1.14. You guys probably, some of you probably know this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What this says is that Jesus is God's revelation of himself to us. So God's revelation of how he wants us to live, who he wants us to be, the new patterns are all found in Jesus. And these patterns are grace and truth. Walking in grace and walking in truth. I want to close today just with a story. In our prayer series, this, uh, th this last series we did, I recommended that you read a book um, called How to Pray by Pete Gregg. 
I was reminded of this really incredible story. So if you've already read the book, you know, you can snooze, you know, go ahead, take a nap. Um, but I'm going to share this story anyways, because I think it's a powerful image of, of what these new patterns, what this new life looks like. Uh, there was a man living in a monastery. He was a priest. His name was, I'm not, I'm not going to get this right, but his, his French man named Dominique Vallemy in St. Remy, France. At age 54, he learned he was dying of cancer. So what he decides to do is with the remaining time he has left, he's going to rent an apartment in one of the poorest parts of Paris, and he's going to work as a night watchman. He wants to spend the last bits of his life on mission, loving people. And so what he did was every morning at 8 a.m. on his way home, he would stop at a park bench. And he just started befriending people. But not people that you and I would probably be like, oh, I really want to hang out with that person. Right? He started befriending poor people, homeless, drunks, old men who were oogling at women, like people that we, we probably wouldn't want to hang out with. Dominique never criticized them. He simply tried to connect with them. It said he, tried, he shared candy with them. He told stories. He laughed. Pete Gregg describes how this encounter, this one relationship, affected this whole park community. He says this, From living so long out of the inner sanctuary, he gave off a peace, a serene sense of self-possession, and a hospitality of heart that caused cynical young men and defeated old men to gravitate towards him like bacon towards eggs. <laughs> That's a nice phrase. He, there was something attractive there, this different way he was living, this different pattern, and it talks about how these men started changing, started changing. Their behavior started changing. They, they started to open themselves up to God. They stopped being disrespectful towards women. One day, Dominic didn't show up. They found him later. He had died in his apartment. But they found a journal in his bedside. And in this journal, he, he wrote this. All that is not the love of God has no meaning to me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. This man, Dominic, he learned a different way. He was completely submitted to a God he knew loved him. He wasn't worried about the outcome. He just wanted to live in this new way. He just wanted more and more of the love of God. He wanted to know God. And because of that, he pulled people who had been crushed by the ordinary way of the world into new life. So friends, Jesus is calling you this morning not to conform. Not to conform to what this world wants to offer you, but he's inviting you to experience new life in Christ. So the question is, will you say yes to Jesus? 
Will you say, I'm done conforming? I'm done compromising. I'm done trying to live with a foot in both camps. I'm all in. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the faithful witness of people who've gone before us. Lord, who've walked this life of faith, who's been victorious, who've lived completely for you. Lord, I th and I want to thank you, God, for sending your son as your revelation to us of this whole new way of life, how to live like you want us to live. So God, I pray that wherever we're at this morning, whatever we're um, hanging on to, if something needs to be let go of, um, God, or, or if we need to say, I'm sorry, whatever it is, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to take that step. Help us to say yes. Not just yes today, but yes tomorrow, yes Tuesday, yes Wednesday, yes Thursday, and yes Friday. Help us to learn to walk in obedience to you. On top of that, God, we pray that you would continue to shape the heart of this church in love for others. Love for each other here, but then also love for those that we're called to reach. We're called to be a, a Dominic too, to show a different way to live. Not because of anything we are or we've done, but because we know the love of Christ. So Lord, help us to know your love. Help us to love your love and, and follow you, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.